A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky So, Father, we come before you, and God, while you have a great many plans for our church and great many events before us, Lord, but now we pause and we reflect on your word. God, we ask that you would fill this place with your spirit so we would have understanding, and that, God, we would be able to apply these truths to our lives so that we could better reflect Christ as we walk out of these doors, Lord. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 15 Last week, we closed out 14 on Jesus. I was going to say tail end, but it kind of works a little bit here. Is Jesus has just finished healing a great multitude of people and that they found that just touching the garment or the tail of his clothing would find themselves healed and that we saw um, pow- true power actually wields authority and power. Now, this week, we move over to a contentious conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees about tradition versus God's commands. Now, as we get into this particular text today, I would say that this is going to cultivate many of the questions and concerns many people have about church in general. And I would say that myself and the leadership here, we have to constantly be in prayer to ensure we don't fall into the same trap as the Pharisees or any other church leadership. I say the, I think we can see, or I know that we see a younger generation tends to be hesitant to come back to church because of the religious behavior that is imposed on the Christian rather than the commandments of God. We can tend to make church a religious and man-centric event rather than a posture of worship to our one true God. And so as we look at this today, we're going to see Jesus rebuttal against the Pharisees who are trying to impose additional standards to what they would consider their faith above and beyond what God would consider to be true. And so here, if we look at this text today, please keep in the back of your minds is this is a reminder of what it is the believer is really supposed to be seeking and how we can avoid the trap of falling into things that defile our soul. Is that we can try to put a mask on it or try to pretend that we are well by doing all the things that man would impose on us, but God sees the heart of the situation. And so that's what we're looking at today. And so if you're in Matthew chapter 15, verse one, would you say amen? It says, then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Every kid in here should underline that section. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father and mother. 
So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to him, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Okay. As we get into the text, let's start here. For anybody who is a germaphobe in the room, let's make sure we understand we are speaking about spiritual truths and not physical ones. Jesus is not saying don't wash your hands. If you can wash your hands, please do so, especially before you come to the dinner table. Let's put that aside now. We're talking about spiritual truths here, and we're speaking about the problem of trying to portray ourselves to one another and to God as something that we are not. So as, as I was putting the teaching together or kind of refining it this morning, um, I was laughing. We had, a, we had a leadership dinner last night and we played a game where the older generation had to guess the slang for the newer generation's decades. And then the younger generation had to guess the slang for the older generation's decades. And I was actually surprised how little both parties knew of each other. And I was kind of surprised at the good guesses. But one of the words that came up or phrases is this phrase, jive turkey. So for all of you who don't know what jive turkey is, it is a 70s phrase specifically used for somebody who is trying to be cool or current and is just terrible at it. So it's not somebody who is just uncool because they have no capability, but the person who's just trying way too hard and keeps failing at it. And so as we get into this beginning section of Jesus, why are your disciples not washing their hands? We're going to look at a bunch of jive turkeys trying to keep up with Jesus and how they were supposed to be obeying the Lord. These men who would continue to try to contest Jesus and what is right, about to be put on their heels as he would respond more appropriately with what it is that God would desire. And so here they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat. And so we want to acknowledge first, the Pharisees are bringing a concern of tradition about the disciples to Jesus. They're seeing that they are not breaking the law. They just don't particularly care for how it is that they are walking out their faith right here or living their day to day. And brothers and sisters, as we spoke about even in this baby dedication just a few moments ago, 
we in the church can be especially good about doing this to one another. And so we all ought to consider that we don't express the same kind of behavior. They would say, why are they not washing their hands when they eat? Now, what the Pharisees and scribes would do is they were upholding previous elders' traditions that had been communicated to the people for a reason. Now, as we look back, we can probably at least come to the conclusion that some of these rules or regulations were applied for good reason, and there was probably some decent thought behind it. Certainly, washing your hands is not an unwise thing to consider, and there was good, ten- good intentions there, but over time, good intentions had left, and what they had done now is begun to use these regulations to essentially entrap people to be slaves to the religious order of the time. So they were speaking of a regulation that says, he sinneth as much who eateth with unwashed hands as he that lieth with a harlot. This was something that the Jewish leaders, this one specifically Rabbi, my Spanish is coming out, Jose, is who applied this here. And that... People who didn't wash their hands were going to be ridiculed as though they were breaking a commandment of God. And so here they are imposing this on the disciples and they're asking Jesus this question not because they're concerned, but they want Jesus to impose the same regulations on his disciples as well. Now again, we're talking about traditions here. Remember, when we're looking at the scripture, we need to parse out what is true and what isn't. And Jesus is about to completely overlook the issue of tradition to get to the heart of the matter. When we're talking about matters of faith within a church and within a body of believers or amongst one another, we need to remember that there is a huge difference in preference and tradition and gospel truth. Those two are not the same thing, especially when our traditions are not tethered to gospel truth. And when I say gospel truth, I mean any truth that does not wholly glorify God from beginning to end. If a man is ever glorified within our traditions, then it is not a tradition worth having within Christ's church. These aren't gospel truths. These aren't really theological or truly doctrinal. These are man's additions to God's prescription for life. And they have added these things to try to attain some kind of self-worth to verify that they and anybody who replicates their behavior would be heaven-bound. So anybody who acts like me is sure to be blessed by God. Look at me, I am the standard. Now, this is not the same thing that Paul would express as he would say, follow me as I follow after Christ, because Paul would be found as a servant through and through. These Pharisees wouldn't be caught on the boat trips that Paul would be on. They wouldn't be found in the jail cells that Paul would be in. They wouldn't be found doing many of the things that they were doing. These were things to edify themselves and then to ridicule those who were not able to keep track of all the minutia of rules that they had here. So they bring this to him, and then Jesus would respond in the next couple verses as we look at this next section. says, he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
And I just say, if I'm the Pharisees and the scribes in this conversation, this is already not at all the response I thought I was about to get from Jesus. I'm already on my heels. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whatever reviles your father or mother, or whoever reviles your father or mother, must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have had gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for your sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is certainly one of the harshest replies the Pharisees would have received from Jesus as we read through the scriptures. He does not hold back here. Jesus' response ignores the accusation and delves into the greater problem of disobedience and pride within the Pharisees and the issue of disobedience and pride that the Pharisees were cultivating within the people that they were leading. He completely overlooks the issue of tradition as it is an unimportant or unimportant fact so that the Father's will would be recognized instead. And can I say, brothers and sisters, if we're ever getting into an argument, or we'll call it a discussion, if we're ever in a theological or doctrinal discussion with another brother or sister, and the will of God is not what is first and foremost sought after, I suggest you withhold your pearls before you cast them before swine is that it is God's desire and God's will that we must seek first and not the Pharisees. And so he dodges their accusation to get to the heart of the matter. Now, Exodus 20, 12, as we consider the commandments here, we see that we are absolutely called to honor our father and mother. Now, as we look at scripture, I would say that this particular commandment, if we're being very honest, Western culture does not understand very well this commandment at all. When it talks about honoring our father and mother, one, this is a different culture and the standard of parenthood was different. And so there are issues that we as younger people growing up that maybe we didn't have the greatest parents, but still, for those of you who have not had the greatest parents, there is still a way in scripture to honor your father and mother. The, ten, the 10 commandments do not say, for everybody who had good parents, honor your father and mother. It just says, honor your father and mother. Now, for some of us, that is going to be more difficult than others, but it can be accomplished as we could display the grace of God in every context. Now, with that, what this means is that as a child would honor their father and mother in return for the time, effort, and financial effort they put into raising us, we would return it as they would need our assistance as they get older. Now, in Western culture, typically that we expect insurances to kick in. We expect certain medical um, facilities to be able to house certain parents. It's not very often we actually talk about our obligation as kids to be the caretakers for our parents. But this is what we're talking about here. Now, 
what the Pharisees had allowed is they were allowing this generation to say of all of their finances and of all of their assets that I am dedicating all of these things to the Lord. Now, when they did that, according to the rule that existed is, should you have communicated a dedication to the Lord, you still had complete and total control of all of your finances and all of your assets. However, you did not have to help anybody with any of it because it was already obligated elsewhere. And so they had found this weird spiritual loophole, they thought, to say, I can keep everything if I just say it's God's. And when my family is in need of it, I can say, ah, it's not really there, it's God's. Hoarding all of their wealth and doing so to portray themselves as somebody who is more righteous. And so when they didn't help, they would have this weird haughty stance to say, I can't help you because I have chosen to honor God with everything that I have, ignoring the fact that God said to honor your father and mother. And we're getting to the issue of obedience here within the text. As he would say, you are wicked for doing this. You have made the word of God obsolete because of your standards. You have taught people to look to your standards rather than to God's standards. And it is destroying you both. Brothers and sisters, if we or any of the ministries we have become involved in are okay with making the word of God void for what it is that we would prefer our faith and our church to look like, it is time to run and it is time to repent. You know, and can I say, this is actually something, if, if we're in the South, we're in the Bible Belt still, we love to impose our traditional preferences onto every other church that we would go visit. When I go visit other churches, I want to see worship look and sound a certain way. I want the teacher to look and sound a certain way. The building needs to have a certain kind of look and feel about it. Do they have the big cathedral ceilings? Do they have this, uh, the stage set up the way that I, I grew up listening to? And it's like, okay, so none of that is important. Is the word and will of God sought above and beyond all things? Now, why can I say that so bluntly? When we take our traditions outside of the United States of America, there is a whole nother set of man-made traditions built within all of those churches as well. I can't take Jacksonville, North Carolina's Baptist church preference and expect it to look like it does in Uganda. Those people still love the Lord with all of their heart. And you know what? It may be different and it might make me uncomfortable for a minute because I can't dance. I can't move, but they're not in sin. They're worshiping the Lord maybe even more than I do. But we spend so much time parsing out all of these weird religious, man-made religious things that we forget what is the point of this. The point is to worship the Lord with all of ourselves. And we apply so many weird culture standards and weird preferences to everything that we forget that that's the point of it all. And then, because we want all of these other standards to be in place, we utilize those standards to walk in disobedience, pretending that we are some kind of righteous. So here, they would 
admonish themselves saying, look at all that I have given to the Lord, but I still can't help my family when the Lord's like, I have given you what I have given you so that you could be obedient to use it the way that I have called you to use it. This is the issue of applying man's law, man's religion over God's commandments. Brothers and sisters, God's commands are always greater than man's tradition. And we need to remember that. Is as long as worship fits the prescribed way that the Lord would like to worship, it is worship. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. Let's not even get into the conversation of you evaluating worship still makes it about you. The real question is, did they worship the Lord? It doesn't really matter whether you liked it, did the Lord like it? Because that's what worship is in definition. So we have a lot of nerve walking into a lot of places and saying, is it up to my standard? Your standard's irrelevant. Is it up to God's? Is this a group of people who are postured on their hands and knees, worshiping God with everything that is within them? And so here, these, he, he puts to side the issue of tradition and says, you are focusing on this when you ought to be focused on this. You are ignoring the word of God to make yourself feel better. They are being taken to school right now. I don't know how many of you have ever been in this situation. You walked into a conversation you thought you had a rap on, or you walk into a athletic situation that you thought this guy's about to learn, and you find out really quickly that it's you who's about to learn real fast. Remember years ago, we, we always go out and for those of you who've been here for a little bit, this Thanksgiving uh, football game that we do. Years ago in Raleigh, we were putting one together. And I'm on the line for those of you who are any kind of familiar with football. I'm playing defense. And this new guy lines across from me. He's clearly in better shape, but I've had other guys in better shape than me here before. But what I don't know is he is one of the alternates for the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you know how I found out? <laughs> when he disappeared. Not a hand on him. Ball snapped, this guy was gone. I don't know, I was like, you guys gotta switch. Somebody else has gotta do this. This is, this, is a, this is a wrap. It's not worth anybody's time to watch me keep doing this. They thought it was hilarious. I did not think it was so funny. But here, they have engaged Jesus thinking that they're about to ridicule him and now they're being taught by Jesus what is truly important. And he calls the people around him. Not only has he just rebuttaled them and sat them down, but now he's calling the group around to say, all of you need to understand why I have just told them this. You hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, I, I love this. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I, I don't. You know, there's a lot of times the disciples are a little bit dense, but I would say that Jesus clearly did not care that they were going to be offended by what he was saying. And he, he ignores it somewhat, but he, he, what he says is, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now here, He's calling the people to understanding as we are coming here to have understanding of the word. And the Pharisees would point out their offense. 
And he would say, remember, every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up. Every minister and every ministry that has been planted by God will glorify God through and through. Everyone that has not will have to be dealt with by him. And brothers and sisters, I think one thing we really ought to remember, especially in, in this age of um, social media, because we, we can tend for good reasons to try to be a, 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 keyboard, a keyboard warrior for the Lord. Notice what he tells them here. Let them alone. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and the blind lead the blind. Both will fall into a pit. The blind are not for us to correct. The blind are there for us to be ministers to should they seek the Lord. But the church does not exist to take up arms against every other church that it disagrees with, which means that every Christian does not exist to take up arms with every, we'll call them Christians for the sake of conversation with every other Christian they disagree with. The world, it says, will know them by their love for one another. And if the world is supposed to know us by our love for one another, why are we so quick to ridicule one another? Why are we so quick to suppose that one another is not being led by the Lord? Now, their soul, that's between them and the Lord, as is yours. And I would say this is good biblical counsel to remember. You be concerned about your house. You be concerned about your faith and those that you are obligated to lead. Calvary Chapel, we need to be concerned about our house. We need to be concerned about the faith and spiritual wellness of those within this house. And outside of that, what I would say the church is called to do is to pray for the other ministers in churches and not to belittle them. Can I be honest? If, if you're a new visitor here, if you know people who are going to visit, if you want to turn me off real fast, if you come to a church and the first thing you say to me is how much you despise your previous church experience and how much you dislike what they do, I'm be really honest, this is probably not the place for you. We are called to pray for them. I am not called to destroy them. They have a difference in the way that they would worship, but very, it's not very often we're talking about heretics. We're just talking about difference in preference. But if your character is to be so bold as to walk into another church and belittle the brothers and sisters who are heaven bound with you, then that's not the character that we want to develop here within this church. And hey, if that is you, we will bear with you and we would ask that God would teach you to have a heart of forgiveness and grace and mercy. But don't think that it is permitted to fly here that we can belittle who God has established here in this community. Let's nip that in the bud today. Pray for one another. Pray for your leaders Pray for those who are seeking the face of God. Pray that those who are blind, because I'm sure there are some who are blind, pray that those whose eyes are blind would be opened by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And if that is you, just ask God to give you grace as you have been given so much grace.
God prefers obedience. Here, they're being taken to school, and it leads us to this question, what do we believe that Jesus is more interested in? The Pharisees are under the impression that God is more interested in their portrayal of faith rather than their actual faith. They have fallen into this trap that we see in Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the last half of the verse would say, but its end is the way to death. These blind are leading the blind. They are leading one another to one another and are wholly unaware that they are walking towards some kind of pit here. We have to understand the importance of seeking God's glory and honor over our own. And should we ever walk in the wrong direction? Remember, God's word is here to encourage and convict. We shouldn't be reading this and think, all right, well, if I've made the wrong decision, this is the end of the world. No, no, no. We are redeemable by God. That is when we seek his face and we ask for forgiveness for making any part of our lives about ourselves instead of him so that he could course correct us, so that we could be redeemed to honor and glorify him in all things. But God prefers obedience over a fake righteous depiction. These men had a standard that from the purview of men was admirable, but it was detestable to God. We sang this song this morning. Um, oh my gosh, what's the phrasing? How great a pain as God would turn his face away. The Pharisees had come to a time in their lives that they were perfectly comfortable having the face of God turned away from them. They wanted to be depicted as righteous by themselves and their others and were very comfortable walking out of the gaze of God. Can I say, we are called to desire his gaze, to desire his presence, to desire the Lord's recognition and nobody else's. If we get to a place where I'm not that uncomfortable when God would have to look away from my decisions in my life, I'm in a very, very dangerous place. Do we understand when Jesus was on the cross, the physical pain was one thing, but what made Jesus actually cry out was the fact that he had never been apart from the presence of God. Pain hit him most when he had to bear the weight of the sin of the world. We wrongly assume that physical pain is the worst thing. But the spiritual pain that comes with being apart from God is absolutely devastating. And there are many of us, as we would try to pursue our own righteousness, that we are walking way out of God's gaze, way out of God's permission. And we've become very comfortable in that place. But please remember what his word says here is that is the way that leads to in Matthew, this pit, but Psalms or Proverbs would say it is the way that leads to death. Outside of the Father's admirable gaze, we are walking nowhere good. As we look at Saul, or actually, I'm going to have you guys flip to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
we're talking about something that has been a problem of man for forever. There's probably not anybody in here, and I'm included, that if, if we were to reflect on our walk with Jesus right now, that there is certainly something that I'm raising about myself over the Lord, and I have to constantly seek forgiveness for that. But if we don't keep that in check, we can get to a place that we would assume my ways are higher than his ways, and that way is never good. If you're in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to look at verse 17. Would you say amen? We're going to see King Saul assume that his way was more beneficial than the Lord's. King Saul has been sent into battle, and as he's gone into battle, he was very specifically told of this wicked people, you are to destroy everyone and everything that they have. Don't take any of it. And here, in his own wisdom, he's like, you know, I think that there's probably a better way to do this that would honor the Lord. But his wisdom led him astray. It says, and Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, I'm sorry, a little bit more backstory. God has spoken to Samuel, the prophet, to go tell Saul that God is aware of what he's done and that he is going to remove Saul as king because of his disobedience here. So Samuel the prophet is speaking on behalf of God now. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I have brought Agog, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So to give you, for those of you who aren't tracking, again, he was commanded to make sure that it is only death that was given to this people because of how wicked they were and to not take any of the spoils. And at the end of victory, he and the others determined, instead of being obedient, I'm going to take all these things I like and as the heart of man is wicked, he is saying that they were going to offer these things to the Lord, but no doubt some were going to withhold some. But still, he says, I'm actually gonna take this instead of doing what the Lord says and present it as an offering. Please don't forget, the Lord has set it aside for destruction because he doesn't want anything to do with it. He doesn't want anything to do with them because they are so far from him. And they want to take these things that the Lord has come to despise and present these things that the Lord despises as some kind of sacrifice. So here, he said, this is what has happened. And then, let me find my spot again. And Samuel said, has the Lord, or has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. 
For rebellion is a sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. God prefers obedience of his people. And what the Pharisees are doing and what we can often do is we try to take these things that are insignificant or maybe even undesirable to the Lord and we try to present them as some kind of worthy sacrifice knowing that this is not the place that God has called us to be. And it's not the thing that God has actually called us to do. They were holding these people captive with this weird standard of washing hands along with a million other things while directing them to not be the kind of people God has called them to be. And brothers and sisters, are we doing the same thing? Jesus isn't interested in preserving the lies or the, conscious, or the conscience of the wicked man. He is perfectly willing to let men fight and fall looking like fools so that people would look at their way of wrongdoing and see that God's way is better. Jesus has now just used the Pharisees to show their foolish ways and to say that you need to remember the word of God. You can try to fight for your understanding all day. Saul was trying to say, but I did it for this reason. It was good. I, this was my thought. This was my intention. It's still disobedience. It's still just wrong. When we talk about worship and when we talk about serving a God, serving the one true God, this is where we run into trouble often. We don't get to determine what worthy worship is. Only the God who is being worshiped gets to determine what worthy worship is. If I am the determining factor, then I am ultimately my God. But if I am submitted to his ways and his word and his way of worship, then it is him that I am worshiping. He is not interested again in preserving the thoughts of those who are walking in sin. And if some of you are in here hearing this, you're like, man, this was a rough message today. If this is you, the Lord wants you to know that what you're doing is wrong, but he also wants you to know that there is a way to be redeemed from that place. He called the people around him. Jesus didn't just ridicule the Pharisees. He brings the people around him so that they could understand what it is to truly worship. Brothers and sisters, we are being given this word so we could understand what it is to be a true disciple of Jesus so that we wouldn't fall to the wayside because we listened to the instructions of men over the word of God, but so that we would remember that all of the instruction we need is here. It's right here. All a pastor, all a teacher is called to do is explain simply the thing that is already here within it. That is what we're called to do. I am not supposed to sit in my office for hours at a time and contrive a way to cultivate my own wisdom and then convince you that I am wise. I am not. A faithful teacher of the word of God is a submitted servant to the word of God. And so Peter would then ask, <clears throat> can you please explain this parable to us? And Jesus would say, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? 
But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So Jesus is saying, don't be fooled. Like you're washing your hands and consuming food with washed hands does not make you a more pure individual. Again, we're not talking about physical health here. We're talking about a spiritual reality. Again, please wash your hands. Don't be that guy. But this is not what defiles a person. They were equating spiritual wellness with washing hands, but Jesus is instead saying, it is what comes out of the mouth that is a problem. When you eat, your body consumes it and it expels it. Jesus puts it very simply, we're not going beyond that. But he's saying what comes out is, out is an indication of what exists within the heart. And as we look at this, as we're talking about what defiles a man, what defiles the soul, man's traditions tend to overlook, distract, or hide the real problems of the soul. God's commands reveal the problems that are afflicting the soul, and then his word gives him the path that his soul would be redeemed by Christ. So let's not focus on what isn't important or what's beyond us. We have to focus on what truly is. And if we're speaking about real purity and we're speaking about avoiding something that would dismay the soul, then we have to focus on what is true. It is what is going to come out. Now, I know a lot of times when we speak about preserving the the wellness of the soul, we speak about how much we consume that we talk about the eye being a gateway, that we consume a lot of material, right? And we assume that what we take in is ultimately going to defile us. And there is a truth to that. If we sit and we're watching or listening and taking in things at a rate that would defile us and we know we're partaking too much in something or something that we just straight up should not, that is problematic. But what we also need to acknowledge is that we are believers who are still having to live in this world. Do we live in a sinless world? No, we do not. So the Christian will always have the problem of consumption. You are always, from the beginning to the end of the day, unless you live in the middle of the woods and you're a hoarder or whatever, some of these people who don't interact with anybody ever, which that's another conversation for another day. But everybody else, we have to consume things that are ungodly from the beginning to the end of the day. It's going to come in. But Jesus isn't saying here those things are, is what defiles the soul. If it was, we would have a whole nother problem to deal with. What he's saying is what comes out is the problem. So what does that mean? If I'm automatically going to consume things that are ungodly, because we are when we go, unless you work in a church with perfect people, which this still isn't that, you're going to consume something that you shouldn't. So what do I do with that? What does that mean? Well, we're talking about the problem of meditating on what is wicked. We're talking about the problem of letting our mind be consumed with things that are wicked and ungodly, so much to the point that when we open our mouths, our brain is automatically and our spirit is automatically inclined to speak things that we ought not to. So 
Here's another hard truth. Brothers and sisters, when you say that, well, how in the world am I supposed to behave a certain way when I take in this information all day? Have you been to my workplace? Do you hear how people, people talk? Do you hear how people behave? Do you see X, Y, and Z? You do not work in a more sinful place than the history of man has ever worked. You do not live in a more sinful world than Jesus walked in. You do not live in a more sinful reality than the disciples were called to be a light within. But here we are, Jesus saying that what comes out is what would defile a person. And so it is now up to us to be abiding in Christ so much that what we would consume would be irrelevant. That we would consume his word so much that we would abide in it, that we would meditate on it, that we would desire it so much that that is what would pour out of us. Jesus is putting the emphasis on the output, not our intake. Again, it's inevitable for a man to consume evil or consider evil for the day, but what's important is what we do with what has been consumed. And can I note, can we note this? We all have to remember this. You do not have to meditate on what has been shoved in your face. You do not have to meditate on the things that you have been forced to consume in this sinful world. We choose to meditate on the things that we know are contrary to God. If you have a cell phone, and this is, hey, I'm gonna use a cell phone in a positive twist. If you see or around something ungodly all day, you have access to the word of God all day. You just choose to think about the other. That's just one application. We choose to meditate on things that are contrary to God and then we blame those things when it's us who has sat on it all day. There's, a, there's an old parable about two monks <clears throat> and the specific kind of monks that we're speaking about, they weren't allowed to interact with women, but the two were going on a walk and they came across a, a woman who was trying to get across a river. And one of them broke the rule propped the woman on his back and waded across the river so that she could get to the other side and he would wade back. And the other was bothered by this and he thought about it all day. And at the end of the day, he's like, man, I can't get this out of my head. Why in the world did you break this rule and do da 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 He's like, you know what? I'm speaking like me, not a monk right now, obviously. <clears throat> he's like, I helped her for a moment. But the picture of her has riddled your mind all day. The concept of her has captivated your mind all day. It wasn't the issue of interacting with her. It's the issue of being captivated by the person that we try to avoid. And you have been wholly captivated by this thing that you chose not to partake in. And brothers and sisters, when we're speaking about spiritual realities, we choose to be spiritually captivated by many things that we know we're not supposed to be captivated by. We think that that's the only way to live or we think that we have to be captured by something or we make all these different excuses as to why I can't evade, why I can't get away. Well, no, you have a God-given ability within your mind to meditate on something else, and that is his word. As we bring this to a close, Psalm 63, one through eight reads, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Are we taking time to consider if we're applying God's word or man's traditions? These Pharisees, these men have been taken by the standards and complications of man's traditions. They have been taken by the complications that come with trying to be self-righteous and self-motivated. But Jesus is reminding them instead to remember what is truly more important. If we're talking about what defiles a person, it's not the washing of our hands. It's what it is that we meditate on. It's what it is that comes from within our heart and within our soul. These Pharisees would try to portray themselves as some kind of righteous. And they would boast and allow other men to boast about what they had supposedly given to God while being disobedient. And guys, we can do very much the same thing. On a Sunday morning, if we're being really honest with ourselves, there are a lot of us who came in here. When we were in the parking lot before we got out of the car, we took a breath, we tuned in, and we knew the kind of Christian we needed to be when we walked in the front door. We're not the person that we are when we walk in here. There's a Christian lingo and a tone that exists among us that if we were really honest, we know that we don't speak, sound, or look like that through the rest of the week. There's a righteous picture that we put on. We wash our hands, essentially, when we, when we get to the door. Before I eat, before I consume the word of God, I wash my hands there so I can be depicted as righteous. But really, all day long, all that I've done is allowed everything else to captivate my mind and destroy the soul that God has put in me. Brothers and sisters, if we have to be really honest. If we want God to redeem us, if we want God to be our restorer, or like it says here, if we want God to be our satisfaction, if, he, if we want God to be the shadow that protects us, if we want God to be the right hand that upholds us, we have to stop pretending that washing our hands at the door is doing anything. We have to remember that being obedient to the word of God is how that is actually done. We have to remember that seeking God's face and his will and his word for my life is what is more important. It's more important than everything. There was something I heard this week <clears throat> when we're talking about posturing ourselves, when we're talking about being obedient, when we say that God's will has to be the most important thing <clears throat> over everything, God's word literally means everything. 
And there's something I have heard so many times since I have moved specifically to Jacksonville when it comes to the spiritual well-being specifically of our military men here is that many of them, and I don't know if this is you, but many of them withhold seeking counsel from church leadership and the word of God because it will distract or stall or eradicate their ability to have a career. If you have communicated that to another man, or if you think that, you have to understand God doesn't care about your career. God cares that your soul would be redeemed and that it would be saved. And you will be a better man should you find yourself at the foot of Jesus, at the feet of Christ. You will be a better man. You will be a more faithful husband. You will be a more loving father. And you will be a more diligent, in this context, soldier. When you look at the word of God, the Christian man is not a weak man, but he is faithful above and beyond all others. He puts the needs of all others above himself. So when we look at Abraham, we see that one of his family members gets in trouble and he literally employs his own personal army to go destroy those who were applying pressure to his family. We have got to get out of our minds that this is a substandard result for the things that we want. If God wants it for you and you seek his face first, he will make everything else better. It doesn't matter what the other people think. If you need help and you're worried about the view of those who are physically above you, you have to remember God is almighty and he can actually change others' perceptions of you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into a fire because they would not bend their knee to the king. They would not bend their knee to those who were evaluating them. And they said, even if God does not save me from this, he will be glorified. But do you know what happened? They were not destroyed there in that fire. Jesus met them there within it. And do you know what happened after that? Everybody else had to worship the one true God that these men walked with because it was undeniable that there was a power around them that was superior to what they thought they had. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was some kind of powerful but found out he was absolutely none. And oh manager, oh boss, oh leader, whatever it is that you are, your superiority is little to nil compared to what God can do for the men that are looking to you. And if you want to be a faithful leader, seek the God who can make you the best one first. The Christian is not a career man first. He is a Christ man first. The Christian is not a military wife first. She is a Christ-submitted servant first. He will uphold you. He will be your right hand. He will carry you and use you to lead others in times of trouble. Amen? Let's remember, stop washing our hands at the front door. Stop pretending that we're something we're not so that when we come in here, we can worship, truly worship the God who we would meditate on when we look up and see the stars he created at night. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. I'll give the worship team just a moment to get back up. Actually, we can pray as they come up.
Lord, we come before you today. God, as you have given us a section of scripture where you would put on the heels men who would assume that they are righteous for the things that they do. And Lord, you didn't do it for no reason, but Father, you did it so that they and those who would listen could be redeemed. You did it so that we could see what it is to truly be sustained by the word of life. We did it, you did it so that we could truly understand what it is to be revived by living water. And so, Lord, I pray, God, today that you would revive us. That, Lord, you would remove any inclination within us to withhold any part of ourselves from you for any reason. That we would remember the gaze of men, Father, will pass away. That, Lord, our life is fleeting, but, Lord, your admiration is eternal. And your ability to restore us first as sons and daughters of God, but Lord, also into men and women, Lord, who you would be willing to, Father, put in the gap to do amazing things, to glorify you and to stun this world when they see what you're capable of doing through our frail hands. God, teach us to seek your face first. Lord, teach us to pray today. Don't allow the, the enemy to keep us from prayer, but Father, let our outcry be heard from you to, to your ears this afternoon. And we ask this in your name, amen.